Hey there, Multi-Amory listeners. It's Dedeker, and I just want to announce that I just did a big update to my online course, Building a Solid Foundation for Non-Monogamy. I've added more exercises, more journal prompts, and more discussion questions to tackle with a partner. And I'm also running a summer sale where you can access the course for a discount. So for a little bit of backstory, last year I launched this online course. I created it because over my many, many years of working with clients, I noticed this pattern where Many people would come to me already knowledgeable about non-monogamy. They've listened to countless multi-amory episodes, they've devoured all the books, they follow all the Instagram and TikTok meme accounts, and yet they still hit these snags in their relationships. They still feel misunderstood by their partners. So I thought it was about time to bring some evidence-based and research-backed practices into the mix to help people create a solid starting ground for their relationship as they journey into non-monogamy. So if you head over to dedekerwinston.com slash course, you can preview the intro to the course and you can see if this is a right fit for you. Go to dedekerwinston.com slash course and use promo code MULTI20 at checkout to get a 20% discount. If you are a Multi-Amory Patreon subscriber, you will get a special code for a bigger discount. So go to patreon.com slash multi-amory to get that discount code. And remember, if you are in financial need, please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and you can literally name your price. I'm serious. You can name your price at a dollar and you don't even have to give me a reason why. In fact, I'd prefer you didn't even give me a reason why because we really believe in how important it is that there's an abundance of relationship resources that are available and accessible. Again, go to dedekerwinston.com slash course, promo code multi20, or reach out to me directly at dedeker at multiamory.com and name your price. One partner loses their job and another has a bad breakup with someone else at the same time. And it's just, you want to be there for both of them. It's not like, oh, this sucks that this part of the contract I didn't read. It's like, no, you want to be there for them. <laughs> but it is hard, right? It can take a lot out of you to do give that support in general. And then to be giving it double or more, it, it definitely can take a toll. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, it's all about the hinge. In non-monogamy, V-style relationships are common, and many people have the experience of being the hinge partner in the middle of that V. However, not a lot of people talk about the unique responsibilities and struggles for that partner who's connecting the two others. So today, we're going to take a look at the role of the hinge in more detail, including the unique benefits and difficulties inherent in being a hinge, some common pitfalls, and some specific skills that you can use to be a good hinge. No A well-oiled yeah. hinge. Yes. <laughs> Dedeker, I feel like this is something you've been a lot. I guess, but, you know, all three of us have been a hinge. Yeah, before. we all have hinge experience in our non-monogamy CV. 
Yeah, <laughs> hinge experience, I think, is what it's called. Some hinge experience that we can and discuss. And also have been the other two parts of the V as well. The legs. You the call legs? It the legs? What would you call it? The, hmm. the lines. I was like going to say the points. But well, sure. one person's the door jam and the other person's the door and then the hinge. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> one person's the wall and one person's the door. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've known some relationships like that. Oh, oh boy. There you go. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Well, so let's talk about V's and hinges. This is a little bit of a one-on-one level discussion that we're going to have right at the gate, just to lay out some vocabulary. Not everyone out there is really familiar with all this terminology, so we'll just clarify it for everybody listening. So the one of the most common forms of non-monogamy and polyamory are what I like to call multiple linking dyads. Now, I love that phrase, multiple linking dyads. It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue and it doesn't exactly call to mind exactly in your mind's eye. Would, you, would you say you coined means. that term? I almost feel like Me? you did. No. no oh, no. okay. I oh. wouldn't say so. All right. You just yeah. say it a lot. So I do. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. well, it's a thing you like. It's hard to convey to people. I, I think that often I'm having to use that phrase a lot and explain it in interviews, in particular media mm-hmm. interviews, because so many media outlets are just like, oh, are you all in a group relationship together? No. You know, like, oh, so like you all live in a house together? That, that's that's how, how most journalists sound these days. That's, you know, they're yeah, like, oh, yeah, yeah. So like, what if you, you know, you'll sleep together in the same bed? And so I'm com- constantly having to explain like, oh, actually in non-monogamy, like triads and, and quads and group relationships are not the main form of relationship. Actually, what's most common are these multiple linking dyads. And let me explain to you what that means. And then you just watch the enthusiasm and excitement drain out of their eyes as they oh, realize. Gosh. Then they're, they're like, that sounds so boring. many regrets. Yeah. yeah. So many regrets. <laughs> yeah. Why did I have this person on? <laughs> the scandalous, exciting thing I wanted it to be. Yeah. Yes. So let's break that down. A dyad is a two person connection, a two person relationship. A dyad is what we are used to seeing when we think of a romantic relationship. And one or both of the points of that dyad may be connected to other people, right? Forming all kinds of these wild molecular structures, especially within non-monogamy. Hence, that's why there's this term polycule to describe that, this idea that we're all kind of connected together in these, these kind of molecular ways or maybe like a constellation as well. Funny thing about the term polycule, uh, a couple of years ago when my partner Alex came over to California to visit, he and I were meeting up with a friend of his that he hadn't seen in a couple of years. And he was like texting with this friend leading up to the meeting. And Alex is kind of the opposite of me in that he's like much more willing to kind of like come out about non-monogamy like first thing right out the gate with people. I tend to wait and kind of do the slow drip and wait and see if this is going to be a conversation that's worth my time and effort. But and what so he's he just like right out the well, just like right out the gate, text his friend just to clarify, because I think he wanted to be honest about the fact that like I was hanging out with Jace, you know, or like we were gonna go see, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh yeah, just you know, you know, we're in a polyamorous relationship, you know, yada yada yada, just to clarify. And his friend was like, I live in the Bay Area, we're down with a cule. <laughs> like apostrophe cule. That's great. <laughs> we know what a cule and I really is, like okay. That. And he's like, yeah. Whoa, all right, got it. <laughs> yeah. In the cule, man. It's, I love it's that. funny because that reminds me of the second time when we went on tour and I think Dedeker and I walked into a, a Starbucks or something to get coffee 
or it wasn't a Starbucks. We actually went to an independent coffee place, but whatever. Not important. <laughs> and cool. they were like, oh, you know, what are you in town for? Because we, we mentioned something about being in town just for a little bit. They're like, oh, what are you in town for? And I saw Dedeker do the hesitation of like, oh, what kind of generic response do I give? And I was like, oh, we're here doing a live show about polyamory. And like everyone behind there is like, oh, far out. That's awesome. You know, just like, <laughs> cool, man. Right. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm inclined to be the one who's like, I'm in town for business. Right. Period. <laughs> <laughs> exactly but Everyone i knew i was like, like we're yeah. in seattle at a coffee shop yeah. they all know they're like yeah yeah okay so us too <laughs> got cool. it see you there <laughs> that's what so to rope it back to the the cule yes the so cule. if we think about this molecular structure these multiple linking dyads that means that v-shaped structures are common so one point or one person who is in relationship with at least two other people and those two other people may or may not also be seeing other people. For the purposes of this episode, we're going to be mainly focusing on hinge partners, so the person, quote-unquote, in the middle, in this V-shaped dynamic, as opposed to we're not necessarily focusing on triads, open or closed triads, or anything like that. Like That's kind of the main dynamic that we are looking at today. So, yeah, it's not a closed triangle where the two other points are together, but rather it's an open triangle, which makes a V. Cool. <laughs> which makes every other journalist so sad and yeah. disappointed <laughs> to be talking to me. <laughs> uh, that's all right. They can, they can get over it. All right. So let's talk about the unique benefits that that hinge partner, so the person in the middle, receives when they are in a V relationship. So... They get things like double emotional support. They can receive that emotional support. If something challenging is going on, then they have two partners or more potentially that, you know, get to be there for them. So multiple partners to turn to when things are tough, multiple partners for processing, multiple partners that may be able to take on things like physical or mental or emotional labor during big life transitions. That's great child rearing stuff like that yeah so i know jace you have experience of multiple partners for instance escorting you to have like a medical procedure done mm -hmm. i've also instance. been one of multiple partners escorting someone to that yeah exactly Absolutely. oh yeah i've been there for that too yes mm -hmm. i also a lot of the usual party line benefits of polyamory like different needs met by different people stuff like that or a sense of chosen family or community or the acceptance and validation that can come from multiple close partnerships things like that i mean i know that yeah in the past like when i had a lot of partners at a function or event together, like it felt really cool. It felt really fun. Yeah. In a way, I think these benefits that we're coming up with for the, the hinge partner kind of are just sort of the benefits of being polyamorous at all, mm -hmm. right? Of, of just having multiple romantic relationships or, or multiple sexual relationships or whatever it is. And so, and while I think that that to people who are new to it are like, yeah, yeah, cool. Like you're, you're dating more people. You get, all the, the fun and stuff like that. But it is also very, you know, can be very profound and very serious. You know, like we're talking about having people there to support you through some some medical procedure or, you know, just when things are hard. And I think that to take that even a step further, there's kind of like you have a larger safety net in a way. It's It's like if something's not just tough sort of emotionally, but say like, you 
lose your job even, or you get injured, or you know something happens that you do potentially have this wider safety net. And then also you have kind of other people there, right? Where it's like that thing of, you know, maybe I locked my keys in my car and, you know, want to ask my partner to come help unlock my car, but they're busy. Maybe I have another partner who also has a set of keys to my car or something like that, right? That just kind of extending this safety net out there and having more people to spend romantic time with, uh, you know, to, to celebrate things together with. You get more anniversaries to celebrate, which is fun. And of course, you get extra birthday gifts. Yes. <laughs> Always fun. Again, there's this kind of this overlap with the benefits of just having a wider support network and more people in your life as well. Right. Yeah. I wanted to talk about the unique benefits partially because I do think that sometimes people don't focus on the particular struggles, which we will get into, because of the fact that on the surface level, people look at the hinge partner and perceive, oh, well, they're the person with two partners, and so it must be an easy ride for them. Clearly, they're the one who's getting the most benefits in this situation. And as we've highlighted, there are a lot of particular benefits that you do get in that situation. But I have seen, particularly in my coaching practice, a lot of people who are the hinge partner really, really struggling, really having a hard time, really not sure what to do next, and unable to get a lot of sympathy or empathy from their support network, I think because of that perception of like, well, you're the one who has two partners, so clearly you've got the easiest job of anybody. With that said, what are the unique struggles that hinge partners face in a V? In counterpoint to what we were saying about a hinge partner receiving double, potentially more, emotional support. Often hinge partners are also expected to give that emotional support back, ideally. And so that can mean a double duty of giving emotional support as well. So it may mean having multiple people at once calling on you for physical labor, mental labor, emotional labor, sometimes at the same exact time. You know, sometimes both partners will be going through a tough time for different reasons, and you're the one who has to extend yourself to be able to offer that support to both partners. Yeah, it and it and it does happen, you know, where like one partner loses their job and another has a bad breakup with someone else at the same time, and it's just you want to be there for both of them. It's not like oh, this sucks that this part of the contract I didn't read. It's like no, you want to be there for them, <laughs> but it is hard, right? It can take a lot out of you to do give that support in general, and then to be giving it double or more, it, it definitely can take a toll. Yeah, this idea that you have to sort of keep everybody else happy and sort of spread yourself thinner and thinner, especially if people are going through really challenging times at that moment. And many hinges report feeling stressed and anxious about attending to their partner's needs, especially when those needs might be competing with each other, like you were just talking about. Also, those needs may be competing with each other where it's like both people have a need for a lot more of your time right at that moment. And it's sort of like, well, mm. if I'm giving more to one... <laughs> I can't like be a, in two places at once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It can it can be really hard. Yeah. When you have more people in your life, there's that potential that you're sacrificing your own self-time and your own self-care, things like that. You might feel the need for all of your free time to just be scheduled with partners or 
you lose a sense of prioritizing your own needs and you think, hey, I need to just be attending to every single other person in my life. Yeah, I've definitely seen this and experienced this Mm. as a hinge (laughs) where if both partners that the hinge is dating are, are in need in some way, you know, often it's somehow this weird thing that happens where both partners can feel like I'm not getting enough of your time or I'm not getting enough quality time. And then that can leave the hinge partner feeling like, oh gosh, then I can't have any time to myself. Mm-hmm. If I have two partners who feel like they're not getting enough time, then I need to be offering up every single bit of free time that I have or free energy that I have so that I can help solve this problem. My partner's needing more time. And on paper, that seems like it makes sense. But then in reality, often it backfires, right? It's mm-hmm. the whole thing of if you're not caring for yourself, then you can't really care effectively for other people. And it creates often a, a, a not great cycle for hinges and their partners of a hinge feels just like stretched to capacity. Uh, often that doesn't actually solve the issue. It just makes everybody a little bit more stressed and disappointed at the same time. Yeah, yeah, really. And then also you get double birthday gifts, but you also have to buy double birthday gifts. <laughs> <laughs> or more. Yeah. Or more, yeah. Yeah. And the birthday gifts, that's just one example that it's the same thing. There could be extra cost, right? Mm-hmm. That the cost of paying for date nights with multiple people, the cost of paying for multiple trips with multiple people or anniversary celebrations with multiple people that there can be. And of course, it depends on what level of financial entanglement or financial investment, you know, is appropriate for the different relationships, but it can mean that your just straight up costs at the end of the day can escalate because of that. Another thing that I've noticed with hinges is there's a struggle with what I call managing the image. And what I mean by Talk that more about is, this. Okay, yeah. So what I mean by that is I've seen a lot of hinge partners really struggle with the fact that often from the outside, they're perceived as like, okay, you're just with this partner, right? Okay, oh, you're taking a trip with this partner, so that must mean that's the important relationship. Mm-hmm. And then a couple months later, like, oh, wait, you're taking a trip with that partner too? Or like you're celebrating an anniversary with that partner too? Wait, so did you break up with your other partner and now you're with this person? And this is this falls under the the jurisdiction of some general polyamory misconceptions and stigma and bias. But I've seen that often sometimes fall disproportionately on the hinge, needing to essentially really be the one to kind of make sure that the world knows like, no, 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 I'm holding both these relationships at the same time. It's not Mm -hmm. just like a one or the other. Of course, the way that this can trickle down is with stuff like social media you know, and trying to manage like, oh, God, if I post a picture with one partner, do I need to make sure it's super equal? And I post it with another partner. When is it appropriate to start doing that? How, you know, how do I manage two different partners level of outness that that's kind of another unique challenge that I've seen fall on a hinge. Does that make sense? That's a really good point. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think that can happen for the people who are sort of on the, the ends of that as well, like the people in the V arms. But yeah, especially for the hinge, there is kind of that that yeah that that burden of making it clear that just because i brought this one person to this event doesn't mean that the other person's not important or or whatever and it kind of also yeah managing levels of outness with multiple partners can also be hmm. challenging too mm-hmm. yeah especially if not everybody is on the same page in that way right that can definitely be challenging right. yeah, yeah. So let's talk about some common pitfalls that occur for hinges. 
One of them, absolutely, that I'm very familiar with is defaulting to people-pleasing behavior. So doing things like saying yes or agreeing in the moment to avoid a negative reaction for one or both of your partners, even things like avoiding difficult conversations. You may also just not have like the emotional bandwidth to deal with difficult conversations from multiple people. Mm. I, You might not be standing up for your own needs, again, because... You have a limited amount of time and a limited emotional capacity, and so you feel like, well, crap, I'm going to cut myself out before I cut out you know, the needs of these other people that I care so much about. Mm, yeah. This is another cycle that I see play out pretty frequently, that the more the two V partners maybe are getting disappointed or let down or feel like their needs are not getting met or they're getting frustrated, the more pressure that a hinge feels to people please to really try to make up for lost time or make up for the mistakes that they're making. And then there can be this tendency to just kind of agree to everything, you know, whatever their partners ask without maybe considering if I say yes to this, does that mean I'm actually saying no to something with another partner? If Mm. I say yes to this, does this actually influence my other partner and they should be part of this conversation? If I say yes to this and yes to that, is that creating a time paradox where I'm actually committing to more time than is available in a day or in a week, you know? And and then, of course, that often feeds back into the cycle of someone being disappointed or hurt or let down in some way, and it all just feeds mm-hmm. into itself. Yeah. Boy. Boy, oh boy. Another really tricky thing to maneuver is oversharing or undersharing information with each of the people that are in the V, So things like not protecting a partner's privacy, that sometimes can be really challenging. And you have those questions of like, how much should I expose or not about this other partner's situation? What's allowed? What's not allowed? Things also like processing fights or arguments that happen in one relationship with another partner. I think this is another reason to hold your friends and those relationships closely as well, because having like a non- a party that's not involved with you in a romantic way, I think can be a more objective person to share your grievances with. And also withholding information that's relevant to a particular partner or compartmentalizing information, things like that. There's, It's a very tricky kind of maneuver, you know, tightrope to walk, figuring out how much you should be disclosing or not disclosing and trying to be communicative with both partners as much as is needed, but not necessarily oversharing that information. Unfortunately, because just straight up, you know, a lot of people who are newbies, newly opening up their relationship or newly trying out dating multiple people at once, you know, in a consensual and ethical way, there's no scripts for this. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of social scripts about what is appropriate to share. How much should I tell one partner about the other partner? How appropriate is it to talk about what's going on in one relationship with a different relationship? And so people just kind of get thrown into this. And to be fair, some of it is unintentional of just, like I said, we don't get education about this. And so we just kind of take a stab in the dark. And often people will sometimes go to these unhelpful extremes of either like, okay, well, I guess, I don't know, I'm just going to divulge absolutely everything to, let's say, my nesting partner about Mm. what's going on in my new dating relationship. And I'm just going to be full free flow of information, not worrying about what privacy boundaries my new partner may have or not. 
Or they can default to the like, oh, this is weird to talk about. I don't know if it's okay. Maybe it's going to upset one partner or the other. And so I'm just going to not talk about anything that's going on and sometimes can fall into a weird, semi-unintentional, don't ask, don't tell arrangement. Mm. And neither of those extremes tend to work out very well for people. Yeah, yeah. It's it's finding that balance because sometimes people can take that privacy concern too far to the point where then it starts to feel like keeping secrets or withholding things. That's and, a good and it point. Is a, it is a yeah. tricky balance to find that gets easier with practice. And in the second half of this episode, we're going to get into some some techniques and things that could maybe help help you get a handle on that. Another one that we have here is debtor you wrote this down as bad pr which i really like that's that's what i call it but essentially it's it's that same thing of if you're sharing stuff about one partner with another one that you may be either intentionally or unintentionally only sharing information that casts that person in a negative light and a lot of times this comes from a place of say i have a partner who's feeling insecure So I want to reassure them. So I'm going to tell them how they're better than the other person that I'm dating, or maybe tell them about some negative trait of that person. And it's just, don't do it. Don't do that. (laughs) But that's a, it's a real problem that happens. And it comes not from a intentionally mean place. It's just like, I'm going to reassure you, but it can actually lead to a lot more negative consequences down the road. This can also happen If you are oversharing, for instance, you talk about a fight or an argument or some kind of fallout that happened in another relationship and you're using a different relationship as a space to process for that, that often that sets up your partner to not necessarily feel very supportive of your relationship. Right. If all you're really bringing to them is all the relationship drama that is happening, Mm -hmm. big or small. And I got to say... That also is the case for friends, for family members, for stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Just something to keep in mind in general. Don't like shit all over your partner (laughs) to another person because it's probably not going to make your friends or your family or whomever see that person in a good light. Unless you are very clear that you are looking for someone to support you in, let's say, leaving that person. Sure. That's a little bit different. Of course. Right. Right. And I think that's it's fine to get that kind of support, but it's often we only ever come during the problems and not also yeah. sharing the positive things and the good things. So finding that balance could also be a way to look at that. Uh, another challenge that hinges can run into is trying to force the metamorph relationships. So the two people that they're in a relationship with trying to force their relationship with each other to look a certain way. And this could be anything from putting pressure on them or even coercing them to be closer friends or even to be sexual partners with each other that they may not be that interested in or at all interested in, or the opposite extreme of really trying to keep them separated and not let them communicate with each other, that that both of those things are not great. And that's a little bit related to another pitfall that I see all the time, which I call the double dip, or I also call it the double dip for maximum efficiency, where basically a hinge can fall into this habit of trying to prioritize group hangouts as in, oh, all three of us will spend time together at the expense of solo quality time for one of the partners or both of the partners. And again, this is a thing that on paper makes total sense. If I have two partners, both of them feel like they're not getting enough time with me. If I just double up and we have more group hangouts, like that counts, right? You know, then everyone's happy. Mm -hmm. Problem solved. Maximum efficiency. Not necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, that's not to say that group hangouts can't be great and really fun, but I've worked with a lot of people where, I don't know, people can start, basically, partners can sniff that out very quickly. Mm. You know, that this is what's happening is is just what my experience has been. People can tell really quickly, like, hey, instead of the quality time that I'm asking for, I'm kind of getting this as a substitute. And mm. it doesn't quite fly. And then... The last pitfall that we're going to talk about, and this is a doozy, we're going to give it its own entire section just to talk about this because I think this is an aspect that can underlie all of these previous pitfalls that we talked about, and that is triangulation. So we're going to talk about that more in depth after our ad break, but first we're going to spend a couple minutes talking about the ways that you can support this show so that we can keep this information coming to you for free. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. And we're going to talk about triangles because we love them. Everything is a triangle, y'all. Always. I somehow end up doing all the episodes about triangles. Mm -hmm. It's because there's three of us. You love triangles. Oh, that's true. Mm -hmm. We can't escape the triangle. And the triforce of communication. You know, it's we got triangles all around us. Yeah. Wow. Maybe we should change our logo to be only triangles. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, I like that. I don't hate that. We'll definitely mm-hmm. look like a cult at that yeah, point. It does. Yeah, you're Wait, right. Do triangles <laughs> equal a cult? cult, cult? Do, in my mind, in my mind, triangles equal does. cult or a okay. church. Because churches, Christian churches, are also very much into the whole trinity oh, yeah. thing. Father, yeah, Son, and Holy Ghost just, business, which I still yeah. don't know what that means, but <laughs> maybe I'll find out someday. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So in this episode of Multi Triangulary. We're talking about triangulation, 
Have y'all heard of triangulation before? Yes. Not in this sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've talked about it. Are you thinking in what the trigonometry sense? <laughs> Sure, yeah, or like, you know, triangulating something so that it like comes together with something else or like it were right, like you're triangulating your position. A, yeah, exactly. Seeing where it yeah, is. Yeah, it's funny cuz I is that I what this feel is? like they're kind of very different meanings for the same thing, right? So triangulation is using mm. two points to determine the location of a third point, like the distance from two other points to determine the location of a third point. But then triangulation here is kind of more about like the, the sort of telephone game and like the ganging up on people that can happen. Yeah, mm. we're going to talk about there's a couple different flavors of what I'm going to call psychological triangulation. So, as a term, it first came to be associated with the work of psychiatrist Murray Bowen. And Bowen developed in the 60s uh, basically family systems theory, which was a theory about behavior uh, that looks at families as an emotional unit uses systems thinking to describe the unit's interactions. And so Bowen theorized that if you have a two-person emotional system that becomes unstable or comes under stress in some way, it will naturally form itself into a three-person system or a triangle. As in, like, it will draw in a third point, a third person, and the way that this plays out in real life is that the third person is sometimes used as a substitute for direct communication. So as in they have to communicate through this third person, the third They're person the mediator? Used as a, maybe like a mediator, but I'm thinking in this context in a bad way, mm, like, like okay. a not good, like a, you know, the go between. Yeah. The go between. Yes. A third party or the, the middleman, something like that. Um, usually this kind of communication is negative or critical, expresses some kind of dissatisfaction. So, of course, I think the really common examples we can think of is, you know, the really toxic situation of two parents who are using a child to communicate between each <laughs> Tell other. Tell your mom that yes, she's yes. a stuck-up lady right. or yes. something. Or tell your mom she's a stuck-up lady. <laughs> I was going to say something meaner, but I was like, that that would be sad to tell to a little kid. She said, yeah. Yeah, I, I have baggage around kind of being the communicator between my mom and my sister sometimes oh, growing up, and sometimes not even necessarily bad stuff, but just being the communicator, like, it's got me very, very, very stressed out. And to this day, still stresses me out. Your sister's quite this. a bit older than you are. Yeah, she's eight years older. Okay, yeah, that kind of yeah. makes sense. I think we can see this in friend groups playing out as well. Uh, sometimes this is this is called, you know, being the broker or playing telephone. And you can definitely see this play out, I think, in the relationships sometimes. Uh, the most common trope is the hinge having to triangulate between the two partners. So as in, my partner over here said this about my partner over there, and I'm going to try to communicate these things to them. Like, I'm going to try to say like, oh yeah, like my other partner, she was really upset that like you didn't talk to her at the party. And then I have to go back to my other partner like, oh, well, she, well my other partner says that she didn't mean to not talk to you at the party. It was just this, like this, this stuff happens all yeah. the time. And it is interesting that I've rarely witnessed hinge partners feeling stressed out by carrying positive messages between mm. two partners it's it's usually the negative yeah. stuff that that ends up being triangulated through the hinge partner but I, I have also seen this play out in other ways as well like i have seen this play out where 
two metamors get together and then are conveying weird messages through each other to the hinge partner like that also happens for sure yeah less less often though definitely tends to go through the hinge Mm -hmm. So when triangular relationships like this occur, there is this risk of having the two people who are sort of in this alignment forming something called an enmeshed relationship, enmeshed. So enmeshed relationships, they're relationships in which personal boundaries are diffused and an overconcern for others leads to a loss of autonomous development. And it's kind of similar to the concept of low self-differentiation. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, basically the idea, I think a good way to think about this is thinking about something like, I I guess, our our typical example of like a couple who start dating a third, for Mm. instance. And so we can look at that couple as most likely having what we would define as an enmeshed relationship here where maybe... They very much identify as a couple. Maybe there's not a lot of good personal boundaries between them. And there's not a lot of autonomy between them. There's not a lot of self-differentiation between them. And so that can lead to these kind of weird triangular relationships in this particular way. And also can lead to this slightly different aspect of triangulation as well. So yeah, that factor of triangulation is explored by Josephine Ferraro. And based on her description, it seems that triangulation occurs when unhealthy alliances form between two people against a third. So, for example, that could be like a a son and a father against a mother or a mother and her daughter against another daughter, something like that. I have definitely seen that in my own life with my mother's siblings and my grandmother. Oh, yes, yeah, my I, mother's siblings also. Just yes. like triangulation is the name of the game, my goodness. Like all over the place and I was young and just kind of like, I don't know what's happening, but this sounds exactly like that. Absolutely. I For hinges, it could look or feel like, you know, me and one partner against the other partner or both partners against me if I'm the hinge which is dicey. Both both are dicey. Right. Not yeah. ideal. And so again, no. not <laughs> ideal. Again, the way that this often plays out is, you know, the hinge with one of their partners who is maybe quote unquote the good partner that they feel close to, the relationship's going well, and then the other partner who maybe is more needy or going through a rough time or there's more conflict on that side becoming kind of quote unquote the bad partner. And it can be very easy to feel like the hinge is essentially forming this alliance with the quote unquote good partner and ganging up on the bad partner. And sometimes that can that can swap and go back and forth. But I have also talked to hinges where sometimes they felt like their partners were ganging up on them mm. to a certain extent. That their their two hinge partners have gotten enmeshed in a certain way uh, to essentially kind of gang up because they have a lot of criticisms or or negative feelings towards the hinge partner that they share. I think it's worth clarifying here too that this very rarely is intentional or something that any of these people are thinking of explicitly. And sometimes the way it shows up is that, say, one of those partners might feel like the hinge and the other partner are kind of ganged up against them. And that that can be surprising news or feel like this completely incorrect accusation to the other two. Because it's just, there's this... One thing is, I think, as as humans, this triangulation happens a lot, and so we're 
we can be extra sensitive to it. But I think also it's very easy to start doing that without ever being intentional about it. But it's because it's just this natural human behavior. It's not like, hey, we're going to ally against this person like we're on Big Brother or something. It's it's just like we just <laughs> survive. Right, we just kind of do it. We become <laughs> a little more enmeshed and aligned over here. And that sort of by the nature of working together toward this other person makes them feel more alienated or attacked. And it's just it's it's a a very subtle and very ingrained part of our human behavior that we really have to be conscious of in this kind of situation definitely uh, and i will say just as a little bit of a, a side bonus is that this concept of triangulation it can also be stabilizing in some instances at least according to the theories that are out there so a common example is a couple who's in conflict who go to a marriage therapist and so they're bringing in this third point, but in that case, having the third point actually helps to stabilize the dyad. But of course, that requires the marriage therapist to also not get enmeshed, right? It's like <laughs> mm. a good marriage therapist is not there forming an alliance with one partner or the other. <laughs> this person they're, is the right one. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're, they're not using, you know, they're not kind of playing telephone game through the partners necessarily. And so that's an instance where having the third party there can be very stabilizing. Bowen, Murray Bowen had some other interesting... <laughs> like theories attached to this where, you know, he'd say things like, you know, a dyad could be stabilized by a third party leaving or it could be stabilized by a third party joining. The unfortunate example that he gave was, you know, so for instance, a couple that are in conflict and then they have a child and that stabilizes them. And I was like, yikes, not a great solution to that problem. (laughs) Not great. I think think that's why a lot of people have kids. Not impossible for sure. Not impossible. Yeah. I'm not saying that never happens, but I'm just saying maybe people rely on that a little bit too much. The same mm-hmm. way that people rely on we add a girlfriend to the mix or we add a third partner to yeah. the mix and that's going to help stabilize mm-hmm. us. And we've definitely seen that that isn't always the case. Rarely right. The case, Very rarely I would argue. is that stabilizing. I think this example of the couple going to a marriage therapist is good because this is a person who's trained very specifically to be this triangulating force without getting into sort of the like competing for the affections or time of the two people because it is this professional setting. And I think that's an important distinction to make, an important thing to realize there. Because even if you did have a third person, like you add a third to your relationship and that is stabilizing to your relationship, at least for a little while, at what potential cost to that other person from like an emotional energy and labor point of view totally. right and that often gets forgotten and i would bet i would bet that murray bowen was not so much focusing on that if he was so focused on the dialing uh, influence <laughs> on them Doubtful. yeah that's true that's true there's also a lot of overlap here with the carpman drama triangle which we did cover uh just a super brief overview that basically that's a theory that posits that in a triangular system people will fall into these roles of victim, persecutor, and rescuer, and will often perceive the other two in different roles and will kind of fall into playing out that role in a particular way that's not very helpful. We cover that more in depth in episode 187, so we highly recommend that you go and check that out as well. Yes, 187. That's how long ago it was. Are you kidding? <laughs> really? I felt like we just did that one. Yeah. 187 and we're on 300 and whatever? 
No, Emily, we did it in September of 2018. Yeah. Jesus. It was a good okay. one, though. Time flies when you're having fun on a podcast. Yeah, I know. I remember yeah. it. That's one of the ones that I do remember. <laughs> so I'm, That's why I'm like, we must have done it like yesterday. <laughs> All right. Cool. So briefly to review, I just really want to make sure that people hold in their minds this awareness of this triangulation dynamic that basically triangulation means that you get tangled up with both the telephone game of brokering a relationship or brokering communication between two people and also can get tangled up with this two against one dynamic that's very easy for us human beings to fall into. Maybe we should call it tangulation. Tangulation. Yeah. Tangled triangulation. Yeah. Uh I Uh like tangulation. That's fun. So let's talk about what does it take to be a good hinge partner? What indeed? Yeah, there's not a lot of hard research out there on what makes for a good hinge partner, at least not yet. I hope that that day will come where we can start to see that. So what we've done is we've taken a look at what the community is saying about hinge partners, people who actually have the lived experience. So we looked at threads in our own private patron-only Facebook group. We looked at threads in the Black and Poly Facebook group, looked at Reddit threads, looked at various blog posts and articles, just to get a sense of what are the recurring themes that are showing up again and again and again based on people's lived experiences. Yeah. So the first of these, and, and Emily talked about this a little bit earlier on in the episode, but it's having external sources of support that are not just the romantic partners involved in this V. This could be trusted friends, could be a mentor, could be a professional, like a coach or a therapist or a counselor, or this could be um, you know, a really supportive family member, someone outside of these romantic or sexual relationships to be able to get some of that support and um, to kind of, <laughs> I guess also maybe to have someone to go to who's outside of any potential triangulation within that relationship or tangulation. And this is also really important because it provides a way to be able to process or vent without that having to be to one partner about the other, which, as we discussed, generally is always going to go badly. And it also keeps you from only ever being able to go to one partner to get advice about the other partner. That can work out sometimes, especially if all the people involved are much more experienced with non-monogamy, have been doing it a long time. There's a large degree of mutual respect and trust of everyone around. You can then support your partners in what they're going through with other partners. But generally speaking, it's harder. And if you have other sources of support, those are going to be better places to go for that. I have seen hinges who will figure out half of this, let's say. So for instance, you know, often people who are new, who have just kind of gotten thrown into this dynamic, they're figuring it out. They don't have any scripts. They're they're trying to find the best ways of of doing this. And they do learn very quickly, ooh, not great for me to vent to one partner about another or to go to one partner for advice about the other or to process, you know, st- or to only t- tell negative stuff. Like they do figure out pretty early on, okay, this is not good. But then unfortunately, I see a lot of very sad and lonely hinges who then end up in a place of, I have no one. I can't mm. talk to my partners. I don't have anyone in my life who understands. Or, or when I do open up to people, they criticize me or they think that I am super lucky because I have two partners, you know, that I have seen this happen with hinge partners of just like, I, I have nobody. 
after mm-hmm. they have realized kind of the, the halfway mark of not taking everything just to their partners. So this is so, so, so important to avoid this just becoming this little vacuum where you're carrying all this by yourself because that's also not going to go great. Hinge partners also have a good sense of time management and scheduling. I know it's a trope and a meme at this point about polyamory, but it's true. So that can be things like having good organizational tools like Google Calendar, whether that's a big shared calendar that everyone is okay sharing together or having separate calendars for both of your partners that you share together. It involves things like having good time awareness. And what I mean by that is the ability to think ahead, anticipate potential scheduling conflicts that may be coming down the pipe. Remember important dates for multiple people, such as birthdays, anniversaries, etc. And it also means having good time communication. So as in being proactive in communicating with partners about the schedule, bringing up scheduling conflicts or scheduling puzzles early on. I think it was Kathy Labriola who said specifically, you know, if you're anticipating that you're going to have to negotiate holiday time with multiple partners, bring it up in July. Right. That's when you start mm. talking about it. Yeah. Mm. You know, give a lot of time to figure these things out and let emotions work their way through. And good hinge partners are able to do that, whether it's about the holidays or even if they see that two weeks from now, there's going to be some kind of scheduling conflict. I've definitely found that skill of just planning ahead just a little bit more than you normally would making plans is really one of those things that comes up as you're learning to be a better hinge partner. It's just maybe... If you normally plan things one day ahead, you start planning them maybe two or three days ahead. Even if it's just that little bit, it does make a difference because there's more schedules involved. And another common thread that showed up a lot connected to the time management and scheduling is, you know, a good hinge partner is someone who can follow through on plans and not cancel all the time for non-emergencies, especially if it's non-emergencies involving one particular partner more often than the others. Mm. Also, something that good hinge partners do is that they have boundaries that they can express and uphold consistently. We talk about boundaries a lot on this show, but if you want specific episodes where we do that, you can look to Multiamory episode 179 or 227. So this means things like preserving time for oneself. We've talked about that a little bit before, but that's something that can kind of go awry if you have a lot of partners that you spread yourself a bit too thin. So having good boundaries and being sure that you prioritize self-care time, that's very, very important. Also, things like expressing honestly and advocating for what you personally want. So anything, I mean, that can be like what you want out of a relationship, how much time you want to spend with your other partners, how much time you want to prioritize for things like friends, stuff like that. You know, what matters to you, make it heard, make it known. Also, only agreeing to things that you can actually willingly agree to and say no or renegotiate things that you can't agree to. You're not going to be able to say yes to absolutely everything. And that's really important. Make sure that you are being honest with yourself and honest with your partners about what you can and cannot agree to. Also, on the flip side, you can avoid being hyper-boundaried or over-encumbered with your boundaries. So, you know, don't be super inflexible or don't, you know, sit there and say, like, I'm not going to negotiate with you. I'm not going to compromise with you. Things like that. It's my way or the highway. That's also 
you know, it's important to not do that. Just have a sense of flow, but also allow for yourself to get prioritized, not just the relationships that you're in. Another thing that people who are good hinges do is that they don't compare their partners to each other in negative ways. Yikes, this is a big one, but that includes externally and internally. So externally, don't like highlight your partner's shortcomings in comparison to your other partner's strengths. Even if you're trying to reassure, it's just it, not helpful. No, it's not helpful. It's not nice. It also is like, wait a minute, like you're thinking that about the person that you're with. Also internally, it can be very easy to fall into like a mental habit of only seeing a partner's failures and internally comparing them to, you know, a real or imaginary better partner. I've had partners be like, well, I want a relationship that looks like X. And it really sucked to hear that because I'm like, well, fuck, I guess I'm not that, but like, don't be doing that internally or externally. Yeah, th there's some research behind this. I, I think it's research from the Gottman Institute, but basically saying that that's a that's a big predictor of people leaving relationships is basically in our minds, we compare our current partner to our perceived options, right? And so once we perceive that like, I have a better option or I could have a better option out there, we're much more likely to to want to leave. And yes, sometimes that can be a good thing, right? You know, I think that if you're finding yourself in a constant pattern of comparison, whether you're comparing one partner to another in your head or even just one partner to an imaginary other, that may be trying to tell you something. It may be trying to tell you, hey, there's something that you're longing for. There's something that needs to be resolved. You need to leave this relationship. It's not the right partner for you. That could be true. However, it could also just be a mental habit based on there being unresolved things in the relationship that could be resolved. I found that this is especially dangerous if you're in an established relationship that you haven't really been caring for or the two of you haven't really been tending to for each other. And then if you fall into NRE with another partner, like there, there's basically going to be no winning there with your mm -hmm. established partner. You know, if you're not tending to that relationship, if you're not resolving things, then whoever you're in NRE with is always going to come out looking better. And it's wild to me just how many clients I hear go through this process. It reminds me of almost like this constant cycle of like upgrading your phone. And to be mm. fair, I do think we're in a culture that kind of encourages a little bit of that sort of thinking, especially with serial monogamy. No, no, no. <laughs> exactly. Upgrading to the next better, next better, next better, next better. That, yeah, I hear that all the time that they'll get into NRE with someone and then they're just like, oh my God, compared to my current partner, like, they're just like so understanding and so mature and so honest and they really give me what I need, even though I've only known them for two weeks. But I just You're like, like whoa, really whoa, think, whoa. <laughs> I really think they're the partner for me. And then I've seen clients go through the cycle where then they leave the old relationship, get into the new one, and then it's only a matter of time before the next dose of NRE comes along as the same thing. Like, oh my God, I think this person actually really gets me so much more understanding, so much more mature. You know, that can be a thing just to be aware of it. So I'm not saying that if you're feeling this need to compare, that means that it's total bullshit and you shouldn't listen to it. But just you should be careful about if you're falling into a mental habit of constantly comparing your partner and they're coming up short all the time. Yeah. Another trait of good, skillful hinges is having a sensitivity to and an understanding about structural imbalances across relationships. And what we mean by structural imbalances here 
is something like if you live with one partner and not with another, or say you have kids or a business with one and not with another, that that's a structural imbalance, right? That's just, that's there in the structure of it. You can't change that part of it necessarily, or at least not right away. But being aware of that and having an understanding that that does have an effect and you can't just say like, oh, that doesn't affect anything, I'm going to ignore it. But being aware of it, having a sensitivity to it. So that's things like a willingness to try to provide a little bit extra to counterbalance that for the partners who don't get to benefit from living with you or maybe being seen with you in public, you know, being a couple on social media or being the plus one to your your wedding of your cousin or something like that. Like all these little pieces of couples privilege that oftentimes still only extend to that one partner who structurally is more entwined with you. So just really being aware and um, conscious of trying to trying to counterbalance that as much as possible. And now this is extra important if you are consciously choosing or practicing hierarchical polyamory, where you do have sort of a clear primary whether you use the words primary, secondary, or you just refer to it as like a nesting partner and other partners, whatever it is, like you are consciously aware that there is a, a difference in the entanglement and the connection and potentially the privilege with this one person that other partners are not going to have being aware of it. But this is also important even if you practice some sort of non-hierarchical polyamory. Maybe you don't live with any of your partners, but it's still good to be aware of because as human beings, all our relationships with everyone else is not equal. Like they're, they're never equal. They're never the same. So just being aware of um, having an awareness and a consciousness of the fact that there can be these imbalances and that that's something that you need to address and try to counterbalance when possible. Another thing that good hinges do is that they share information across relationships appropriately and ethically. So that means things like protecting their own privacy and the privacy of others, of the people that they're in relationships with. It's also important to think about when there's an imbalance between like how old or new a relationship is. So often it's really easy for people to overshare about a new relationship to their partner that's in the older relationship. So definitely being cognizant and wary of that. And it's important to get clear with each partner about what information they're comfortable being shared. You know, it, that can include a whole host of things from how out you are or STI status, things like that. It's it's important to see like how comfortable are you with me sharing this information to my other partner. And lastly, the last thing we're going to talk about is a good skill to have is awareness of what belongs to you. And what I mean by that is being able to tell and take ownership of your own decisions and actions, you know, and take responsibility for those things, but also being aware of, okay, if an issue arises, is this an issue between me and one of my partners? Is an issue between me and a different partner? Is it an actually an issue between them as metamors? Or is it an issue that actually is relevant to all three of us that we need to be able to sit down, all three of us, and talk about and resolve? And 
the way that I see this fall apart is often... Okay, so it's difficult to talk... Quick sidebar. It's difficult to talk about this because I want to default to like, okay, yeah, you agree to something with partner A and then you tell partner B and then partner B doesn't like it. So you go back to partner A. But to be totally honest, I realize that sometimes that makes it easier to say, but it's not easier to parse or understand. Can you and say so us? I, like just use me and Jay's? I, yeah, I could do that. So we'll actually want to make this into a PSA for the entire non-monogamous <laughs> community that when you make posts about your relationship drama or what's going on in your life and you just use letters where you're like, oh, my partner T said this, but then like that really upset my partner C. And so, but then C's other partner B came and then told me this, that T was going to sit like using the letters. It's so hard awful. to follow. It's, it's so hard to follow. No one likes to follow yeah. it. You get frustrated no and fall asleep it. halfway through. So just use fake names. Come up with fake names. If your partners are not comfortable having their names shared in a particular space, use fake names. That's great. It's, it's tiny amount of effort. Makes it so much more easy to understand. I'm talking to all of you out there listening right now. There, bum, bum, I said it. Bum, okay. Bum. So yeah, for this example, <laughs> beautiful. The more you know. So back to what I was saying the way that this falls apart is let's say if my partners are both Jason and Emily and I agree to something with Jace and maybe that disadvantages or negatively influences M in some way. So let's Ugh. say <laughs> with Jace I've agreed. Okay. I will only spend one night of the week out of the house for the next six months. Okay. Okay. Great. Yes. Agreement. Yes. Jace. And then I go to tell M that and instead of saying, hey, I had a conversation with Jace. This is what Jace wanted. I agreed to it. I decided this is what I'm going to do. And I realized that, that that has an impact on you. Instead of saying that, I come to M and I say, so listen. Jace made me. Jace made me do this. Jace like really wants me to do this. And I don't have a choice. And so like Jace, Jace is imposing this. And that sucks. And Jace sucks. What a beeper, like, man. That's <laughs> really muddling what actually belongs to you. Right. Like not taking right? ownership it's of really the, the role that you had in agreeing yeah, totally. to that and that that was your decision. Ultimately, like your your partner isn't truly forcing you into things in that way. And if they are, then we've got yes. some other much bigger yes. problems to deal with. Yes. Yeah. And so I've started recently working actually with a lot of triads and Vs, a lot more than I used to, just helping to mediate these things. And this is one of the things that I find the most important when I work with people is taking an inventory of these things. What belongs to this person? What belongs to that person? What belongs to this other person? What's an issue between these two points? What's an issue between those two points? And then figuring out what's actually relevant for everybody to talk about. And it's ownership. It's, yes, it's sticky work and it's confusing work and it's hard, but it's so, 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 so worth when it. When you mm. work with a triad, does that then become quadrangulation? Mm, I wonder what Bowen yeah, would say about yeah. that. He, he, that. This would blow <laughs> yeah, his probably. mind, okay? <laughs> Just completely blow it. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. So, we're going to go on and do a bonus episode. Now, this is super fascinating. In our bonus episode, we're going to be talking about what can studies that have been done on communication in step families, what can that teach us about being better hinge partners? I hope that that's intriguing and tantalizing to so the palate of <laughs> your brain and heart. 
on our Instagram, we're going to be putting up a poll. We want to know, do you think that it is easy or is it difficult to be a hinge partner? We want to hear from you whether you have experience being a hinge partner or not. Do you think it's easy or do you think it's difficult to be a hinge partner? So go check that out on our Instagram this week. The best place to share your thoughts about this episode with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our researcher for this episode is Dr. Kiana Nurse. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.